if I haven't introduced myself, I've not been up here much this week. My name's Joel, and uh, I'm uh, someone that knows a bit about New Day. I was there. I was there from the beginning of New Day. And, um, and so actually what I'm going to do today is a bit different. I'm, I'm going to preach a bit, but it's going to be mixed up with me telling you the, the New Day story. And uh, some of you are still not sitting down. You're like, no, but I'm in such shame of not showering. You may sit. You may sit, all of you. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a bit about how we've ended up here, how we've ended up at this point in the story. We've been on a, a journey with this thing over the years. This is the 16th New Day, so it started in the summer of 15 years ago in ancient times, and I, I wanted to let you people know something about the story because sometimes knowing the story, knowing the journey helps us to understand the point we've got to, and it helps us to understand the future. Tomorrow, I want to talk to you a bit about the future, so I guess today I'm talking a little bit more about the past, that's the plan, but we'll get into some big things as, as we do that. There is a verse in the Bible that I'm going to go from, it's in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 145, and it's just one verse, let me read it to you, it says this, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Should we just pray together? God, we want to thank you for all that you've done this week. And I want to thank you for what you've done so far in these years we've spent on this journey. And I want to ask you to send your Holy Spirit now so that we will, each one of us, get the point. That we won't miss it. But that we'll have our hearts opened up the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of your son Jesus and to see the glory of your plan for him for his people uh, for eternity we pray that you take us up into your bigger purposes in Jesus name amen so this story starts for me when I was just a tiny bit older than new day age I, I was 19 then I was uh, in a meeting in a my hometown and there was a, a person speaking at this meeting with a lot of people there and uh, he, he was someone who had the gift of prophecy and when he finished his, his sermon he, he pointed at me and, and he, he, he said some things to me in, in front of other people so it felt like a bit of a dramatic moment and uh, something that other people could, could kind of hear and test so it wasn't kind of a secret word, it was a public word. But he, he said to me, I believe that in seven years' time, you and I will see each other. And when that happens, uh, you'll be in the, the, the midst of a move of God amongst thousands of young people. And he said, in seven years, we'll meet and that will be happening. You'll, you'll feel out of your depth uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of things going on, but God will be with you and you will be in the midst of a move of God with thousands of young people. And uh, for the next seven years, I, I, I got involved as much as I would have done in, in church. And I loved Jesus. I loved being involved in what he was doing. I was, I was preaching the gospel whenever I could. I was 
praying, I was serving, I was, I was, you know, I was getting a lot of things wrong as well, very wrong as well, but I was still genuinely excited about God. But by the, the sixth of those seven years, I've got to say, I didn't see any evidence whatsoever that what this man had prophesied was actually going to happen. When, when you've had a prophecy for something that's going to be happening in seven years' time, and you've got to year six, and you're just doing a regular job, and, and it's, it's cool, you're serving God, you're involved in church, but you're, not, you're certainly not involved in a move of God with thousands of young people. I kind of began to think, well, maybe that was just a bad prophecy. You know, there is such a thing. It, it might just be a mistake. He got it wrong. People do get it wrong. And then something happened. I was, I was asked to sit down with uh, the man uh, leading the church that I was in, and, and he asked me and my wife, Kate, to come and to sit with him and to, to talk about uh, an idea he had. He said, I want you to leave your job, and I want you to be involved in gathering all of the young people from all of the churches that we work with in the, the New Frontiers family of churches in, in the UK. We'd, we'd really like you to do that. We've had a, a, a time as a team where we've prayed and talked about it, and we, we just felt God was telling us that it was you. We felt yours was the name, and you were the guy we were supposed to ask to do this. And I was, honestly, at this time, I, had, I, I was involved in serving in church, but I, my wife was a youth leader. I wasn't even a youth leader. I was just... I was just just doing stuff, just serving and loving Jesus, but they, they felt that God was speaking to them and leading them, and they didn't know anything about this prophecy that had happened six years before. And they said to me, the first thing that you need to be involved in leading is, is a gathering that we're doing jointly with, with Soul Survivor next summer. So you need to be involved in leading a big gathering of thousands of people at Soul Survivor next summer. Now, at the time, I thought, I think this is right. I think that I'm supposed to leave my job. I think that I, I feel called to serve God, and, and if this is the way they want me to be involved, then yeah, I'll do that. But it hadn't occurred to me that this might have any link with this prophecy that came from this man six years before. And it was actually later on that day, I was at a prayer meeting at church, and during the worship time, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, this significant potential career change. And I was just thinking, oh, yeah, there was that prophecy. And didn't he say something about in, in seven years we're going to see each other and you'll be involved in... And I completely went crazy and realized that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy because it was going to be happening literally seven years later from the time when he had prophesied. And actually, during this prayer meeting, if you were leading the prayer meeting, you would have seen a certain young man in the, in the congregation standing there looking like this, and then suddenly going like this. <laughs> when I realized that prophecy's real, and understood that God had genuinely spoken to me about something that no one, no one, not this guy himself could never have known. And what's amazing is that literally seven years later, to the fortnight, or right, seven years and 13 days later from the date when this man prophesied, I, I was at a huge gathering of young people. There were about 16,000 people there, and, and he, this guy was there. We just bumped into each other. I didn't know he was going to be there. We just bumped into each other. We looked around the crowd, and I thought, oh, yeah, he said, we're going to see each other, and you'll be involved in the move of God amongst thousands of young people. God's kind of amazing. And the gift of prophecy can be a real blessing. And I'm, I'm telling you this to say that 
from the beginning, there was a sense for me that God was kind of taking, taking us on a journey. And for a while, we, we worked with other groups of churches and networks and friends like Soul Survivor and Mike Pilavachi, who became a really good friend. And we, we loved doing stuff with them and with other people in different parts of the country. And then a time came when we, we began to think, are we supposed to start our, our own thing? I don't mean our thing in the possessive kind of way, but I, I, I felt like maybe there's something that the New Frontiers churches should start as a way of really gathering the young people from these churches specifically. And we kind of, we, we prayed about it and we thought about it and, and, and I, I felt in my heart a growing sense that that was right. And I remember one particular occasion when a bunch of us were praying together at my friend Adrian's house, Adrian Holloway, who, who was up praying for the sick last night. And, and there was this, this burning moment for me when, when I, I, I remember reading out this bit from uh, Isaiah chapter 42 where it says this, For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Now, what I'd been feeling like was it takes kind of courage and conviction to say to a whole lot of churches and to say kind of to the, the, the church in the nation, we're going to start something for the young people in these churches. And we're gonna mean, that means going to opt out of some other things and we're going to do this and it's going to cost a certain amount of money and it's going to mean setting up a lot of infrastructure and recruiting a lot of people and we're going to have to hope that they show up and that they pay tickets and that we don't, you know, cause a lot of people to kind of get sacked because we can't afford it. And it was a big risk. It was a big step. But I felt in my heart this burning sense, this has got to be done. I know there's a, a hundred million reasons not to do it. There are a lot of reasons why it feels risky, it feels a little unsafe, it feels a little challenging, and it could go bad, and who knows? And, and yet, overwhelming all those doubts and worries was this burning certainty, God is in this. God wants to do something great with the young people from these churches. God wants to gather them. God wants to do something new and mighty. And I remember driving home from that meeting uh, with my friend Matt Simmons, and, and we were talking about uh, what are we going to do, what are we going to call it? And he's just driving. I thought I can't remember which one I was driving. And he, he just said, how about New Day? And it was right there, somewhere on the M1 in some traffic jam, no doubt, or some service station. We kind of came up with this name, and we got busy, and we got excited. And we had this vision, just a handful of us. We had this little dream that no one else knew about, about half a dozen blokes in Birmingham getting excited <laughs> about New Day. But we thought, now we've got to convince the rest of the world that it's the right thing to do. And we started to gather youth leaders and I tried to explain the vision to them and, and sometimes did it really badly. And thought, oh, this idea is not working. People don't get it. It sounds, oh, they don't, they don't like the idea. And it, it was tricky, challenging, starting a new thing. But we knew we needed to. And there's a reason why. I mean, somebody might say, why did you feel the need to start out something for, for this family of churches particularly. 
Why? What's, what's the point of that? Why was it the New Frontiers guys that you gathered at first? And I guess I could say it's a bit like this. It's, it's, it's because we knew that we were at the point of half time. You know, if you watch a football match and, and it's, it's been a good first half and anything could happen in the second half, it's just been that kind of a game. It's like, this, this is going somewhere. And then at 45 minutes, the referee blows the whistle and then they announce over the speakers, the match is, can is over, the second half is cancelled, go home. You feel like, what? That, that, that's, that's, that's not right. You, you know that this hasn't played out. There's something still to be done. I'm, I'm trying to tell you this because I want you to know, many of us, we've inherited, many of us from, from our parents' generation, a particular vision. Like, I mean, a big vision, a big fat vision, a serious burning conviction that drives us, that stirred us. We've inherited it from the generation before and it's not finished, it's not, it's not worked itself out yet. And we knew that it was part of our responsibility to relate it to the next generation, to kind of pass the baton on like in a relay race, not just to chuck it over our shoulder, but to say, look, you've got this now. You need to run with this now because this race needs winning. We're not leaving it to chance. We're not just saying, well, you go anywhere, you can drift. You can just, you just, just be general, regular Christians. No, there's a particular vision that we've been called to, that we're stirred about, and we want you to be part of fulfilling that vision. In the Bible, that often happens. You get two generations that work together, like, like Moses and Joshua, and David and Solomon, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy. And we knew that we were at that kind of halfway line, and it wasn't right for us to just act the gatherings of young people from our churches. So we started to share the vision. We knew that the vision itself was important. And you might say, well, what is that? What is the vision that, that these churches have, have caught? What is, what, is the, something, what is so important that you would gather young people, particularly with your kind of brand and your group? And it's very simple. The vision is the vision for the church. The church of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the vision. The vision is for God's people, the church. Now, when I talk about that, I know that the, 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 the kind of adrenaline level in the room takes a dive. Because for most of us, the church is not what gets our pulse racing. It's, it doesn't particularly stir or, or, or excite us. Because it's just the church. It's, the church is just... In fact, the church is the thing we apologize for, right? That's what I do. I found myself often saying to people, you know, don't, don't, don't look at the church. You know, if I'm trying to help someone to become a Christian, I'm often saying to them, you know, whatever you do, don't, don't, don't judge Christianity by the church. Look, look at Jesus. Don't look at the church. I say that a lot. Have you ever said that to people? That's, that's, that's what we say, right? That's what we often say. But there's a big problem with that. It shouldn't be what we have to say. Because, well, the church, if you like, the church is like Jesus' brand. You know how it works with brands. You know, like when a, 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 a thing starts off, an organization or a company starts off, it's usually a bunch of really uh, idealistic, passionate people that start a thing off and they, they want it to flourish and fly, so they, they start to, to dream big dreams about it. And it kind of it starts off well, but then what happens is it gets big. And actually, the bigger it gets, the kind of cheesier it gets. It kind of loses its way. It kind of loses its kind of edge, and it becomes a bit flat and boring. 
Everything that's big and successful started off cool and exciting. Even Tesco. Believe it or not, I'm sure, that's what, I'm sure the people who started Tesco were like real hipsters. They were probably, you know, like had beards and tattoos with Tesco on. And they were really stirred up about this vision for a supermarket. Everything starts with a vision, you know, like Apple and, and whatever, Google, Facebook. It starts with something. But it, it takes a lot of work to keep the brand kind of cool. It starts off with some edge, and then it gets big and successful, and, you know, it's like Starbucks. It's like, oh, they're just everywhere. They're just, ah, they're just big. It's lost its edge. And you know what? The Church of Jesus Christ may be the classic example of that. Started off so edgy, so exciting. And now the church, well, I mean, we just associate it with awful things, right? Awful, awful things, like the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition and tambourines. And just, we just, oh, it's just such a failed, toxic brand. It's like, oh, man, there's no hope for this messed up thing. And we're like this with dreams, right? Some of you have had big dreams when you were younger. Some of you dreamt of getting through the next round on the next round on the next round on X Factor or getting so many followers on on Instagram or dreams of achieving certain things. And and dreams can just die. Dreams can fade because it's it's not looking realistic. It, It certainly can seem that way for the church of Jesus Christ, it looks to so many of us as though it's kind of, it's just finished, it's fundamentally failed. And there's a way we can deal with that. I mean, there are a few ways we can talk about that. Let me just give you a few thoughts that are important. First of all, not everything that calls itself the church is the church, all right? Get that clear. Not everybody that's got the church logo on is actual church, legit. Not everybody, all right? And, you know, when I was at school, my headmaster used to say, when you wear this uniform, you behave well. On your way home from school, you're wearing this uniform, we, you behave well, you represent this school. And so when you, you, know, you help old ladies across the road and you, you're polite to the bus driver and, you, and you, 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 are, you are nice to the shopkeeper, that's what you do. Obviously, if you don't wear this uniform, you do whatever you like. That's kind of the implication. You know, if you're... If you're if you don't wear this uniform, you can, you can, I don't know, throw old ladies under the bus or you can, you can eat the bus driver. You can do whatever you like because you, you don't represent the school. Now imagine this. Imagine if you've got somebody actually dressing up as the people from your school and doing wretched things in the name of trying to drag down the name of your school. And that's kind of what's happened a little bit in Christianity. The church has been represented by people who don't love Jesus. Simple as that. That's true. Second thing we can say is, hold on. (laughs) Because you can't really play that card for too long. The reality is, even the people that do love Jesus (laughs) are seriously messed up people. That's kind of how we came in, right? That's how we get to know Jesus. We notice that we're seriously messed up people. And we don't necessarily change in a hurry either. Jesus chooses seriously messed up people. Jesus seems to have a lot of time for them. Jesus isn't all that ashamed of them, it seems. He loves them. He's got a lot of time for them. He takes time. He's patient. A friend of mine 
was at a party. He's a, he's a pastor of a church as well. And, and he was getting to know someone. He's chatting with him. He said, oh, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. He said, which church? He said, oh, he told him the name of the church. And the guy at the party said, I know your church. I know the people from your church. They're all failures. <laughs> and my friend, the pastor, said to him, yeah, that's true. That's true. The only difference between the people in my church and you is that they've noticed it. So, so the church has kind of got this kind of built into the genes, right? We, we kind of, there's a bit of a problem. We're going to put our foot in our mouth. We're going to make mistakes. It's not easy for us to just pretend on this front. So that's the second thing to say. The third thing to say, bear this in mind, even if we get our act together, even if the church becomes, I mean, just outstandingly perfect in every apparent way, even if we have the perfect meeting and everything, everything in this particular meeting goes well, you know, the right songs, the right sermon, the words on the screen come up at the right time, (laughs) the lights work when they're supposed to, the dry ice comes up at the right time, the preacher's wearing the right trainers, everything. You're so proud of your church. Yes, I can bring my friends to this church. The reality is that even when the church is absolutely killing it, people in their hearts will still not love the church because they don't love Jesus. And so we've got to be careful that we don't steer the ship completely by, have we got to the point where everybody loves us? If you're, if you're determined to only be happy with the church when everybody's giving the thumbs up, my friend, you're, you're on a hiding to, to, to nothing. It's, it's not going to work like that. I mean, even Mother Teresa, some of you have not heard of her, but you know, she's like with the, famous for being the most perfectly compassionate, loving person, serving the poor in Calcutta. All her life died about 20 years ago, but she was a phenomenal person who, who seemed to love Jesus and really cared about people. And everyone would have, everyone's going to be impressed with Mother Teresa. Of course, who would have a bad to say? Who would have a bad word to say about Mother Teresa? Well, apparently some people did. They did. They, they wrote whole documentaries about her. There were people who criticized her horribly. Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus said himself, he said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. Did Jesus do nasty things? Was Jesus cruel? Was Jesus a hypocrite? Was, 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 was Jesus responsible for wretched things? No, 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 no. Jesus was perfectly loving in all of his ways, and yet he was taken away and crucified. And so we've got to be real. The church, however much perfection it seems to achieve in this age, for some people, like Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, will still be the kind of stench of death to some people. The aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to some, but to others it will be like, yeah, I, I just can't, I can't be doing it with the church. And so we've got to be real about this. Now, now, having said all of that, having said all of that, I want you to see that Jesus has never lost his passion for the church. Jesus hasn't. I want you to see that today. I want you to understand that for Jesus, the dream has never faded. It never will. You know, we, we respond to great leaders who, who declare their dream. You know, like the famous examples like Dr. King in, 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 in the 60s. I have a dream. And it went all around the world and still does. And Jesus, Jesus has a similar statement to make. He has a dream. God's dream. God's abiding, eternal, burning, 
furnace-like overwhelming zeal and jealousy for a people that he can call his own. A people taken from every people group, every culture, every nation, every city. A people who love him and who love one another. A people who represent him faithfully. A people who bring his healing and joy and peace, his blessing to the nations of the world. A people who care about the poor, who care about righteousness and justice. A people who, who trust him and love him and serve him and lay their lives down for others because they found him to be enough for them. A people who shine out brightly like the dawn in a dark world so that people from around the world see the burning light of God upon this community and are drawn from nations all around out of sheer fascination and ultimately adoration for the God that they've come to know. The church is Jesus' glorious eternal dream and his passion for her has never faded and never will. Jesus himself loved her before the foundation of the world. Jesus himself came as a man. Jesus was born as a baby in poverty. Jesus grew in difficulty and suffering and in obscurity. And Jesus himself suffered to the point of exclusion, betrayal, hatred, false trial, execution after torture. Jesus did it for her. Jesus rose from the dead for her. Do you know what? Jesus is alive now for her. Jesus lives forever to pray for his church. That's what he's doing now. If you ask Jesus, what are you into right now? What are you excited about right now? I don't know what you're excited about. Jesus will always say, my church, of course. Jesus' passion, his abiding, eternal, nonstop zeal is for his bride, the church the people of God. That's never going to change. So here's the thing. If you and me are down on the church, guess who's wrong? Jesus or us? Who's right about things generally? Jesus or you? What have you found to be the case? Jesus is forever passionate for his people. Absolutely burning with love for her. And he's not quitting until he's won her from all the nations of the earth. That's what he's doing now. He's building his church. And you see, I'm telling you all this stuff because I want you to understand what New Day is all about. I want you to understand that for us, this is, this is the point of the thing. This is why we, we do what we do. I remember sitting, listening to my dad talking. He, my dad's a preacher as well. And he, he was talking about the, the situation in, one, in a very poor country where some children were being treated in a horribly unjust way by the police of all people. And he said, this is so wicked. And you could tell, it's just heartbreaking hearing these stories. And then he said, publicly, he said, the only hope for the children in that city, and I'm waiting for him to say, is Jesus. Yeah, that's the right answer. Fill in the blank, is Jesus. And he said, the only hope for the children in that city is the church. I remember thinking, what? You got it wrong. You you got the wrong script. That's wrong. You got it wrong, Dad. And I began to realize over time, no, he, he actually got it right. Because Jesus himself said, he said, when he healed a blind man in John's gospel, he said, I am the light of the world while I am in the world. But then he says in Matthew's gospel, Something that you should bear in mind when you consider 
those famous words. I am the light of the world while I'm in the world. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Talking to his church. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Andy McCulloch, who spoke to us last night, he has a, his story of planting churches. He helped to start a church in Istanbul. And he had a, a person come to his church, actually someone who worked in a tattoos and piercing shop. And she came to the church because her boyfriend had become a Christian. And she thought, I want to find out about this. So she goes along and she thought it was pathetic. It's a little church, a little dinky church. Maybe some of you feel like that about your church. You know, you've got New Day with like seven, 8,000 people and this and that. And, and then you've got your church next Sunday. And it's like, oh man, just feels so feeble by comparison. That's how she felt. She, she went home thinking, God, oh, my husband, my boyfriend's into something pathetic. These people are pathetic. That night she has a dream. Jesus comes to her and shows her his scars on his hands. He says, do you think these hurt? She says, yes. She's not a Christian. She's, she's Muslim. She says, do you think these hurt? She's, she says, yes. He said, let me show you how they hurt. And he puts his hands on her hands and she feels pain in her hands. She feels this sudden pain in her dream. And she woke up with the, the voice of Jesus in the dream saying, do not mock my people. When she woke up, she still had scars on her hands. While she was awake, She's walking around with the scars that happened in her dream. Jesus means it. It's my people. It's my people. You know, when you think about your church, when you think about what it is, you think about what it isn't, just remember this. One thing it is, it's the passion of God's son, Jesus. He cares about her. He's passionate about her. He's devoted to her. He lives for her forever and ever. And it's the church that's the answer. It's the church that can bring healing. We're going into a time in this nation with increasing division, increasing distrust between people from different cultures and backgrounds and views of the world, hatred, unforgiveness, a sense that no one understands me and my, my position, my tribe, my, my situation, and you people definitely don't. We, we're not like them and they're not like us. I'll tell you what, I know enough history to know any nation that gets too much of that, it's going to go very bad. It's going to go very bad. What's the answer to a country that's falling into that kind of serious disintegration? The church of Jesus Christ is the answer. Where people come in through the gateway of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus who humbles us and loves us and shows us that he is enough for us. So that our pride and our arrogance and our false identities and our sense of importance is often wrapped up in some kind of solidarity with a tribe or something that, that makes us feel more important than other people. We just leave that at the door because we found Jesus. He's humbled us. So I can come to him on the same basis as you. We're brothers and sisters. doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter because Jesus brought us together and Jesus is the one who's gonna fill all things. He's reconciling all things to himself for his glory and his name. He will not have division. He will not. You'll have a beautiful bride. And, and the, the, the glorious diversity will be one of the things that gives it its beauty. The fact that it's so different, the fact that it's so wildly different, 
That's the thing that we'll love about it. That's what our nation needs, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? That's what we need in our cities. That's what we need in your school. That's what we need in our, in our towns, in our streets. We need communities of people that can say, I love you, I forgive you, I, I, I'm, I'm your brother, I'm your sister. We are one together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever's happened, whatever you've done, whatever you've been involved with, we have Jesus. We have Jesus together. And so we have all things together. That's, what's, that's why the church is It's one of the reasons why the church is so desperate and needed. And we've got this passion, we've got this drive. We thought we want to we want to start churches all across the city. We were when we started New Day, it was with this slogan, we want to see a thousand churches planted in this city, in this nation. And, and at the moment, in this family of churches, it's about 300. And we're still praying for more church planters, more leaders to come through. I wanna, I wanna start communities off like this. I want to see them established because I know whatever they look like, however difficult they are to be in, however hard the church can be, it's still God's plan for the world. It's still God's best plan for the healing of the world. And that's why I want to help see these things established. And that's what New Day exists for. That's what it's for. We haven't got a better vision than Jesus' one. (laughs) People often say to me or have said to me, what's the vision for New Day? I'm like, well, it hasn't really got one. We just just stole Jesus' one. We've got his vision for the church. This really, New Day could stop. It could. It, so could anything. So could Adidas. So could Facebook. So could, so could Britain. So could anything. So can the UN. All these things that we think are so important, they will stop. There's only one thing that's going on forever. It's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. So New Day either serves the church or it gets the hell out of the way. That's what this is for. You understand? This is not here so the church can serve it. This is here to serve the church. The church comes first. We love the church. We want to serve the church. We want to see the church flourish all over the world. That's what we're about. That is our passion. And it will stay our passion because it's his. Anyway, let me go back to the story. Got a couple minutes left. Seven, to be precise. So we, we started this vision, and, and, and it was kind of challenging because we knew that um, we had to win people over. But we had a particular gathering where we, we prayed, and, and a friend of ours, some of you know Phil Wilfie from, from the King's Arms Church in Bedford. And Phil had this, this prophecy. So we're going back to a long time ago now, before you were born, some of you. And Phil said, God, God is going to use New Day. He saw this vision of like a bathtub. He said, like a bathtub in the middle of a field, and it's draining. The water's draining through the plug hole. And then someone comes in and puts a plug in the plug hole and stops the drain. And then the water comes on, the taps come on, and it starts to fill the bath with fresh water. And it goes past the previous watermark. And then it starts to overflow and overflow and overflow and fills this field with fresh water. And he said, New Day is going to stop the drift in this country. It's going to stop the drift for this generation. And then God is going to fill this event, fill these gatherings with his presence, with his spirit, in such a way that there will be overflow. It will go out in its influence across the world, across this nation and then other nations. And we, we knew it was right. It was one of those times where you know God's really speaking. And so we kind of... We stood up in faith, we stood up in prayer, and we started to plan the event. We did the first one 15 years ago, 
and we were really excited. I was kind of stirred about how well it was going to go. And about two days into it, I'm praying and praying. And a friend of mine, uh, another friend from Bedford, my Adam Hayward, we were just praying together in my caravan, and we're just saying, God, please, we want you to do. You know when you kind of start something and it's not quite going so well. Maybe you've done a, like your birthday party or something, and it's like half an hour into it, you're thinking, Yeah, people haven't shown up, and it's not going so well. And I just want it to go well. And, and I was feeling like that. New day. I was like two days into it, thinking, oh, Something's got to happen. It just something's going to happen. Please, Lord. I start praying with Adam, and we say, God, please show up in a big, big, big way. And he showed up. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He showed up in the weather. And uh, it wasn't nice because basically it was such a flood. I mean, I saw this cloud coming over the site, literally. And it, 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 it struck fear into me. We, we, felt, we, felt kind of, <laughs> we felt our hopes dwindle as the rain just pounded the site for hours. And I remember just hour after hour, it's still raining, it's still raining. And we were trying to do, you know, mighty prayer meetings. Me and Steph Liston standing up trying to be all kind of Gandalf, you know. You shall not pass to the weather. And it didn't work. And, uh, and it just kept going and kept going and kept going. Hours and hours. And all these youth leaders are looking at me. And I'm trying to look cool. And at this time, we had a, a, our first child, Hudson, who was about 11 months old. And I'm pushing around on my buggy. I'm, I'm just pushing around because I know the youth leaders are going to kill me. So I'm thinking, if I've got a baby, I'm safe. <laughs> I'm just don't touch me. That's not my fault with this meaning. And all these youth leaders are staring at me. This whole thing was your stupid idea. I haven't slept for the last 48 hours. My whole campsite smells of wee. This is your fault. Your fault. Just loads of evil eyes everywhere I look. And it just kept raining, just kept coming. Man alive. We had to evacuate a third of the campsite. You got the, the flipping security services involved, people with proper yellow jackets. Like big walkie talkies, right? People with an attitude. It's terrifying, like big vehicles taking kids out, crying with their teddy bears, like serious stuff. Phone calls from parents and not nice. All over the place. And this is my event. Jesus was supposed to show up and he told me to do this. You told me to do this. Your idea, not mine. Have you ever prayed like that? I'm only doing what you said. I remember the night where it just kept raining and raining and raining. I'm looking at like the BBC weather report and it was like a big sheet saying, you're doomed. <laughs> and Michael Fish on the telly saying, terrible rain in a certain place. It was in a place called Newark near Nottingham. Unbelievable rain. Do you know what? It was the biggest deluge that that part of the country had ever had since records began. That's true. That's true. It was horrible. And I, you know, I, I got on telly, regional news, but I, I was in my pajamas. There's no clothes left. All sort of draining away into the sewers. 
So I got on telly, but in my pyjamas. So just so you know, there's no celebrity in this job, all right? That's not how it goes. You might think, I want to be a preacher, so I look cool. God says, okay, you can be a preacher. You want to be on telly? Yeah, I want to be on telly. Yeah, you can be on telly in your pyjamas. <laughs> so don't do my job if that's what you're looking for. You'll just put you on telly in your pyjamas. And so I, it, it was like, not good, not good, not good, not a good situation. People saying, like, you know, can we please quit this? Can we do that? Can we stop? Can we go home? Can we finish? Can we call it a day? Come on, stupid idea, bad idea, rubbish idea. Don't know who you are. Don't know who you think you are. Let's finish, please. Can we go and join another event, please? And then we had a meeting in the morning after the worst of the rain, the early morning. A few of us in a room, guys with walkie-talkies, yellow jackets. And uh, we're sitting around, and they're all looking a little bit serious. They're all giving long lists of why we should all go home. I'm sitting there thinking... I don't think we're supposed to go home. I think, I think God told us to do this event. And they're all kind of gathering around and looking very stern at me and waiting for me to change my mind. And there's just a few of us, a few friends of mine, like Stuart and Livy and, and Adrian and one or two others who just say, oh, I think maybe God's in it. I think maybe we are supposed to stay. I'm like, no, at least someone. And, and then... Somebody said something about, I think maybe we should just pull the plug. And then we thought, wait a minute. Didn't God say you're supposed to put the plug in? Isn't that the whole point of this event? He wants to put the plug in. And we started to think, no, I think God's talking to us. And so I said to this room full of very, very good people who know what to do about a campsite. You know, they are responsible people who know what to do with, you know, campsites and tents and things you know, and spreadsheets and money, stuff that I should never be allowed anywhere near. And, they, and, they, and they, they're sort of discussing reasons. And I, I, I said, listen, can we change the conversation? I want you to all start thinking. Instead of here are the reasons we're not going to do New Day anymore, I want you to all, with all your gifting and brilliance and skill, I want you to go out of this room and I want you to start thinking how we're going to make New Day survive this week. And here's what, here's what I love. Here's what I love. Every single one of those brilliant people went, yes, we are back in business. And we went, we went crazy. We went all around Nottinghamshire, rounding up all these evacuees, gathering them together. All the poor waifs and strays sat down to the highways. And I was, come back to New Day. It's going to carry on. And there was this massive sense of excitement. And the, the rain stopped and the sun came out. Which does happen, doesn't it? That's normal. And, and, and then we started to do the meetings again and we started worshipping Jesus and praying God just moved mightily. And then our friend Ginny from Sheffield, Jenny Burgeon came. And she said this, she said to me, she said, this flood is a sign. The whole point of this flood is that God is going to do something in this generation that is so great that it is like a huge downpour, a huge flood of his Holy Spirit. And I, I, when she said it, I was thinking, what does that mean? Because this was the biggest flood they'd ever had in that part of the nation since records began, like I said. And you think, why would God do that to us? Why would God do that? He's got all this water to spare in heaven. It's like, where could I put this water? The sea would be a good idea. Maybe Scotland, because it's always raining there. <laughs> or in Wales, because there's no one there in Wales, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
And he's thinking, where shall I put this rain? Where shall I put all this spare rain? I know, there are 3,000 people in a field worshiping me. I'm gonna flood them. Why would he do that? If he wasn't saying something, and I tell you he was, he was saying, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna flood this generation with my spirit. I'm gonna do something in your lifetime that is the greatest thing and it will outstrip previous records. It will go past the previous watermark. It will overflow the bathtub and it will flood the field. It will change the expression of Christianity in this nation. It will bring life to this culture. It will bring life to this generation. By God's grace, we've seen some of that over the years. By God's grace, we've had amazing adventures. I wish I could tell you there isn't time. Some of the things we've seen. I remember when I saw Adrian Holloway preach the gospel and call people forward to become Christians for the first time. And I just stood there like, no, 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 they've they got to stop. They got, it, just, it just went on. And, I just, just, and every year we've just seen hundreds of people come to follow Jesus. and People getting healed, sometimes from such extraordinary things. And we've seen amazing stuff over the years. I have, time doesn't give for the stories I could tell. And I, I will find ways to tell them. But listen, this is what you're involved with. You're, you're involved in something that's that's serving Jesus' passion, the church. We're going to do our offering in a minute. We're going to raise money. And we're doing it because we, we want to do what Jesus is doing. We want to start churches. We want to get busy building churches in cities that desperately need them. And here's the thing I love. You know, some of these churches, they're led by people that were involved in leading New Day. We're sending money to San Francisco, where my friend Tom Shaw is. Tom was involved in starting New Day. Matt and Joe Simmons were involved in starting New Day. Now they're in Amsterdam. Stuart and Evie Gibbs were involved in starting New Day. Now they're in London. You could go on and on. All these people that helped to start this thing. Adrian started churches in Birmingham and London. Because New Day isn't the thing. The church is the thing. And we're raising money to help establish churches. We're also going to be giving. We're going to be giving a massive proportion of this money to helping to see this event move forward into the next few years. We want to see it properly established so it can have more and more impact on this generation and help that next year and next year and next year, the year after that and the year after that, to catch the vision of Jesus Christ and his church and serve his purposes for years to come. That's what we're doing. That's why we're raising money. And let me say to you, each one of you, when we do offerings, when we give money, it's, it's just another expression of our freedom, yeah? Jesus came to set people free. We sang that in the older teens this morning, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus sets us free from what? From guilt, from shame, from fear. And there's one particular fear that we can be controlled by, which is to do with the love of money. See, if you love money, what you're doing is you're saying, the thing I'm most frightened of is not having enough to get that thing that I must have. If you love money, you're saying, I must have whatever, some trainers, a milkshake, uh, I don't know, an Xbox, whatever it is. The next thing that you must have in order to be 
settled and content and happy, to be, to be joyful. I must have, if I don't have that, I'm, I'm frightened if I don't have that. Listen, you need to get to know a savior who sets you free from fear, who says to you, I am your shepherd, you shall not be in want. The, the God that we serve, the God we worship is the God who did not spare his own son. He gave the best he has so that we could be deeply persuaded that he would give, along with him, everything that we need. If he gave you Jesus, you can trust him. You don't have to be frightened. You don't have to think, but what if I give money? What about this? What, what, what if I give this money and I can't afford this? What if I give this money and I can't do this? What that tells me, my friend, is that you've allowed money to become kind of God. And money is a terrible God. It's a cruel God. It's a horrible God. I would like to encourage you to rise up and slay that God in a moment. So that you can worship the true God who says, I'll meet your needs. I'll provide for you. Get involved in what I'm passionate for. And you watch how I look after you on the road. That's what he's like. So here's what we're going to do. We're nearly done. This is what we're going to do. Guys are going to start a song, and I want you to just stay where you are. Not stand up just yet. I want you to listen to the song. And then I want you to stand up when you know that you're ready to stand. And when you stand, what you're saying in your heart is, Jesus, I do want to serve you, and I want to serve your plans, your purpose, your vision, your dream. And I want to put the God of money to death and I want to serve you. I want to trust you. I trust you, Jesus. That's what you're doing when you stand up. Are you ready? Let's have these guys lead us in this song. Just listen to them first and then we'll stand when we're ready.